Today's episode is a sequel, kind of, but also a prequel. A while back we discussed the genderfuck glory of Goldust and agreed to never forget the name. We talked about how captivating and groundbreaking Goldust was, but we also touched upon what drove the character to push the envelope so far. The long, long shadow of his dad, Dusty Rhodes. Today, we're going to examine just what made that shadow so inescapable. On the surface, Dusty was an unlikely hero. He had the physique of a beanbag chair and the athletic ability of a second beanbag chair, but he also had an absolutely singular personal charisma and an almost supernatural ability to connect with blue-collar people and convince them to invest their hopes and dreams into him. He was like a Horatio Alger character, a son of a plumber from Austin, Texas, who, through sheer toughness and force of personality, found himself rubbing elbows with the most elite competitors in the world. As he often said, he'd wined and dined with kings and queens, and slept in alleys and dined on pork and beans. Of course, a hero is only as good as his villain, and Dusty had one of the best. And it's another of our old friends, Ric Flair, that scumbag Reagan Knight who personified corrupt 80s wrestling excess and was the ideal foil for a man who didn't look, dress, or act the part of a champion. Ric Flair did, but he couldn't beat Dusty Rhodes in a fair fight, so he had his white-collar wrestling thugs break Dusty's leg. Cards and letters poured in for the fallen American dream who vowed to return more powerful than ever, like a populist Obi-Wan Kenobi, and take Ric Flair's championship. He was going to repay the love and faith that fans had placed in him and his journey, and he was going to finally put an end to Ric Flair's reign of corrupt pro-wrestling aristocracy. Today on I Hate Wrestling, it's Dusty Rhodes versus Ric Flair. Hard times. kitchen table oh very nice so you know uh, i'm in uh hoboken new jersey cool which is uh you know a lovely town um oh so i've heard yeah i mean this this bit's going nowhere how are you nicole okay <laughs> <laughs> oh, i'm better now that i am home and done with my commute for the day and i have some vodka which helps immensely with everything yeah, you know, I hear good things about vodka and yeah. uh, any liquid. Well, I don't want to say any liquids. I was going to say a lot of liquids that you can sort of take into your body after work can be very helpful. I hear very good things about water, but then there's things I've like done that. there's things like paint, which you probably shouldn't drink. No, not anymore. Not no. since college. Yeah, paint is more of a work time. Yeah, especially beverage. For, you. for me. Yes. Well, <laughs> wait, why me? <laughs> Because you work in, like, doors and hardware and fancy bathrooms, so I assume paint is involved. <laughs> I mean, am I wrong? You're extremely wrong. <laughs> we don't, we don't drink any paint. I, in fact, I think I made it very clear that we have, uh, we have a refrigerator that's stocked with San Pellegrino. <laughs> yes, that's true. Your mineral water and all your cookies, you fancy-ass bitch. Yeah, well, you know... That's, uh, I don't think I have to report that on my taxes as income or anything. That's true, because you eat it. Because I eat it, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think actually, if you eat all of your money, you don't have to report that to the IRS either, so, <gasps> hack. 
great idea. Life hack. Eat your money. Eat your money. No one can say shit. <laughs> Request that you be paid in biscuits. <laughs> Just biscuits. Biscuits and hard tack, like uh, <laughs> fucking Oregon Trail party member. Uh, Civil War soldier. <laughs> Please pay me in hard tack for fighting against the racist. Thanks. My dearest Jessica. I've been surviving on hard tack and my love for you. Bang! <laughs> I received a care package of hard tack from Abraham Lincoln himself. <laughs> Probably. You know what? That's a thing that happened. Yeah, you hear you hear all the time about Abraham Lincoln staying up, you know, working by candlelight and just packing thousands of care packages full of hard tack. Yeah, they have they even had a commercial for it. You know, Abe Lincoln getting up early, like, it's time to make the hard tack. And he opens the door, and he's there. I already made the hard tack. <laughs> you know, that Lincoln was really ahead of his time as far as, as far as marketing goes. He really was. I mean, everybody knows who he is, and that beard. <laughs> the, brand, the, brand, the brand recognition that Abraham Lincoln brings to the table is really unparalleled. You know the hat and beard silhouette. You know who the fuck that is. That's Lincoln. Yeah, and you know what? That's especially interesting because he, in you know, the most famous portraits of him, you know, on the penny and on the the fiver, you know, the saw buck. He mm-hmm. uh, he uh, wait, is a five dollar a saw buck or is that a fin? Uh, <laughs> sure. Yes, both. Fuck saw me. Fin. Anyway, point fin is, saw. like, everybody knows that Lincoln wore that hat, but like. Think of all the famous portraits of Lincoln that you've seen. He's not wearing that hat. That, that's because they were official portraits, and you can't wear hats in those, Matt. Well, even the photo, like, there's that photo of Lincoln, right? Well, oh, that's true. Who who the fuck decided, like, we're going to find out that there was no such thing as a stovepipe hat. <laughs> it's like that thing <laughs> that thing with, oh, it turns out uh, there was no such thing as a horned Viking helmet. They all had wings. And it was just like that was just something that somebody drew at some point and that everybody just sort of went along with it. And someday we're going to find out not only was there no – there was no stovepipe hat, there was no hardtack, there was no Abraham Lincoln. He was actually – I was just going to say Lincoln was a fictional character. Yeah, he, will, no he was Abraham a composite Lincoln. of several real presidents. Right. <laughs> several. They all just mash – it's early versions of Photoshop. They just kind of mash certain – Early versions, the early versions of Voltron. Mm-hmm. James K. Polk formed the legs. <laughs> Franklin Pierce formed the torso. You know what? I'm not opposed to this. And actually, I just read. Funny you should mention this. Funny so, that I should mention. <laughs> no, I'm James not, K. I'm Polk not, and Franklin Pierce forming. Yes. Hold on. So I read a book of short stories by Raphael Bob Waxberg who is famous now for creating BoJack Horseman, which I know you've heard of because Renee and Jinx talk about it all the time. Um, And in his book of short stories, he has a story, oh God, I think it's called like President Land or President's Land. It's something about presidents. And it's about this kid who's like a high schooler or early 20s or whatever, working at a fake presidential theme park and they're all dressed up as like different presidents you know and there's more popular ones i forget who he might be pierce actually um (laughs) he's one of the like least important presidents but he still works at this whatever you know there's a lot more backstory you gotta have a franklin pierce right but 
there's this company that like has an investment in president's land and they want to like maximize efficiency so they get the dna from all the most popular presidents mash it together and make a president monster who's just like and then occasionally will be like four score (laughs) but most of the time and so they create this monstrosity it starts attacking guests so then they have to like lock it in a back room somewhere and pretend it doesn't exist this is an actual story i just read so when you're like oh they took the the composite i'm like no seriously this is a thing created from the most powerful parts of all of our existing presidents or is it just like it's just like sort of more of a sand art thing where it's just like all mixed in together and shaken yes. up. It's more of a sand art kind of, you know, Frankenstein's monster kind of situation where it was just like the okay. DNA they had from like Washington, Jefferson, Lincoln, you know, all the famous early presidents and they just kind of like okay, so, threw it all together. So it's not like a sort of <laughs> Captain not Planet situation. Bodies. No, no. Not an actual ultra, but you know, more like it's the DNA version of that, I suppose. Okay. DN Ultra or something. You know what? One of my favorite gags from The Simpsons hmm. would uh, was this. It was a school play that the that Bart and Lisa's school was doing, and it was a musical called. Yes. <laughs> you remember this one? Yes. We are the mediocre presidents. You won't find our faces on dollars or on cents. (laughs) There's Taylor, there's Tyler, there's Fillmore, and there's Hayes. There's William Henry Harrison. I died in 30 days. (laughs) We are the adequate, forgettable, occasionally regrettable, caretaker presidents of the U.S. I just picture Tara standing over your shoulder like, dear God. Oh, she's in the she's in the bedroom right now. She's watching a movie with her headphones on so I don't drive her crazy. But she's going to be like, when she listens to this, she's going to be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> Probably, but that's okay. Hi, Tara. <laughs> so... <laughs> anyway <laughs> four score four score and seven years ago yes um dusty Rhodes and rick flair got into an epic showdown dusty Rhodes and rick flair uh and talk about american icons really That's i mean true. these guys really are like the bad presidents of wrestling <laughs> i don't know you know what dusty Rhodes. <laughs> dusty Rhodes. honestly I feel like if he had gone into politics, could have been the president. You know, I can see that. Like, Especially like, with the age we live in. Yeah, not for nothing, Donald Trump got to be president, and Donald Trump has the oratory ability of a dying sloth. <laughs> I mean, Dusty Rhodes... Uh, have, have we talked about Dusty Rhodes at all on the show before? I mean, We have, because we mentioned him a little bit talked about gold dust right I think when we did grandpa fight i think we might have mentioned him yeah but as just well in passing yeah but just we haven't really like dug in just in passing and like i think we definitely talked about how dusty Rhodes 
was like this legendary blue collar hero. Yes. And and Ric Flair was sort of his shithead Reaganite rival. Oh my god. Yeah. And we we didn't really dig too much into it, but it was just like this thing where okay, rich man, poor man, you know, uh, blue collar, white collar. And both just some of the worst looking people you've ever seen. <laughs> with yes. Just the I, worst. I, I, I'll comment more on that. The worst bleach blonde hair you've ever seen. Oh, God. And that's just sort of what it was. But Dusty Rhodes, I mean, what he was able to accomplish. I've seen people argue that there has never been a live crowd wrestler better than Dusty Rhodes because what Dusty Rhodes does like in a vacuum he's ridiculous right Dusty well, Rhodes most wrestlers in a vacuum are ridiculous let's let's cut him some slack here well true <laughs> true there that, that's true to find a non-ridiculous wrestler is an exception to the rule but I mean Dusty Rhodes exists outside of you know, the, the normal parameters for a pro wrestler, right? He doesn't look like a pro wrestler. He doesn't yeah. sound like a pro wrestler. And as we'll find out when we watch the match, he doesn't really wrestle like a pro wrestler either. Interesting. And what he does do is just captures the imagination of people who are watching him live and, and hearing him speak, and he just commands he commands this kind of loyalty and love that he would be, I think, a very effective politician. And he would be, I mean, I think if Dusty Rhodes wasn't a pro wrestler, he would have been a great politician or a great televangelist. That's exactly what he sounds like. Exactly what he sounds like. Even more about, like, reaching out your hands and he can touch it. And about the guy upstairs who died, but he wasn't talking about Jesus because I thought he was for a second. And he's like, because he died 10 or 12 years ago. And I was like, oh, he's definitely not talking about Jesus then. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Jesus came back and died in the late 70s. You didn't know about that one? Uh, No, I missed that, but I never went to church, so. That's that's from the the expansion pack. That's from Church 2. Church 2, Electric Boogaloo. Yeah, so so let's talk, I guess right off the bat, what are your impressions of Dusty Rhodes? Okay. So first of all, that hair. That hair was stapled to his head. It is a bad, like, Ikea sheepskin. Somebody roughly chopped up and stapled to his head because they were like, you can't be bald and be a wrestler. You just can't. It's his his real hair, but it does not look like real hair. And I was very distracted while he was talking because his forehead got so veiny and purple that I really thought that it was like stapled to his head and his head was literally just going to explode. Like the thing was just going to like pop off the front and we're going to see like a bald head or like, what is it? Men in black, like the little alien, like controlling him. Something (laughs) was going to happen. I was like, holy shit, he's going to explode. Um, But otherwise, yeah, he looks like a televangelist with like the cheap suit and spoke very plainly, although I will say both he and Ric Flair have different yet similar speech impediments. Yeah, that's right. They both, they're they're very similar in a lot of ways. They both have the incredibly, like, awful bleach blonde hair. 
They yeah. both have this singular fashion sense, and they both have different speech impediments. Yes. They're they're very much opposites in almost every way. Dusty Rhodes, Dusty Rhodes has this very very distinguished lisp, that is. Yes. And he's uh he's in his his little outfit, which is first of all, uh, you're you're one hundred percent right about his hair. It looks like. <laughs> the person who permed his hair heard that his father had died halfway through the perm and just and had just to get stopped. through it. <laughs> and just left it. And then he didn't know any better and left it in for like three days and then was like, oh, I should probably wash this out now. And he's wearing like, it's a sports coat over like a pink collared shirt with jeans. It's it's Chris Farley and Tommy Boy trying to look professional when he's going to the first meetings with David Spade. Yes, yes, absolutely. That's exactly what he looks like, but with that aforementioned, like, poodle's ass hair. And he starts this out, and by the way, what you watched is a promo called Hard Times. And <laughs> a lot of wrestling promos don't have titles, but if you tell any wrestling fan, you know, you mention Hard Times, they will know what you're talking about. It is legendary, like one of the all-time, like, most studied and beloved wrestling interviews ever. Ever. I could see why. He was generally appealing to, like, the mass populace that Ric Flair's like, I'm better than all of you. Yeah. And so Dusty Rhodes is like, no, I am one of you. Support me. I, I support you. I appreciate you. I'm reaching out my hand through the TV. Give me your money for God. Yeah. Well, Dusty's like, he, his character forever was a uh, son of a plumber from Alton, Texas, baby. <laughs> you do that way too well. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, yeah, uh. Son of a plumber from Alton, Texas, Dr. Rose, the American Dream. He even calls himself the American Dream. That's his nickname. Yes. And in this, the context for um, for hard times, which they don't really say, is that this is 1985, and Dusty Rhodes is trying to get a shot against Ric Flair at Starcade 85, which is the biggest show of 1985 for this promotion. And Ric Flair in order to prevent this from happening, had his shithead Reaganite henchman break Dusty Rhodes' ankle. And the storyline was, if Dusty can't get cleared by a doctor to wrestle, by a certain point, then he would lose the title shot that he had won for Starcade. So Dusty Rhodes is off TV, and they're getting sort of like, fuzzy updates from his doctors and about how his rehab is going and like, oh, we really can't be sure if Dusty Rhodes is going to be ready to go for Starcade. And Ric Flair, of course, is gloating every week, talking about how he ended Dusty Rhodes' career and Dusty should just come out and say that he's been beaten and that he, you know, uh, he never had a shot against Ric Flair anyway and etc., etc. And what happens is Dusty announces that he's good to go for Starcade and what happens is the Hard Times promo. And, That's amazing. And he starts off by saying, First of all, I want to thank all the many thousands of people, all the fans who sent cards and letters to the American Dream, Death Rose, while I was down. So immediately he's he's reaching out to the audience and thanking them. He's starting out by thanking the uh, the audience who probably did send him thousands of letters. 
because this is before the time that everybody was admitting it was, you know, predetermined. So certainly there were some people who thought Dusty Rhodes was really hurt and they were sending him very heartfelt letters, you know, to get well soon. Well, that's sweet. So Dusty appreciates that. And then he says uh, about Ric Flair, no honor, no respect. There's no honor among thieves in the first place. And he goes on to say that Ric Flair doesn't know what hard times are about. And he goes off on... He lists a few examples of the auto workers who are out of work. You work a job for 30 years. They kick you in the butt, give you a watch and say, hey, yeah, a computer took your job, daddy. That's hard times. And he's like, he's very much giving voice to this undercurrent of blue collar frustration in, uh, in Reagan's America that you wouldn't necessarily expect those those messages were not really to be found in mainstream uh you know mainstream pop culture of that period right and although i do want to say when he started talking that way and giving all the examples and then being like dad it he reminded me of james brown and i was like what and i got very confused yeah he does have a little bit of uh like soul, like he's kind of like the black revivalist preacher. Yeah, definitely. That he's throwing in there, not just televangelist. Like he was throwing in some like distinctly like yeah, black preacher vibes. Yeah. Let me tell you another thing, Dad. Oh, like, yeah, and he's got. Okay. <laughs> there's another interview I could think of where it's sort of a more more quiet interview where he's not fired up. He's not talking about one of his rivals. And they just ask, they ask him, you know, Dusty, you know, are you surprised by how, how you've been embraced by the fans? And he says something like, uh, I never thought that 300 pounds of blue eyed soul would captivate America the way I have. (laughs) So he's, He's, he's very consciously uh, doing that. Yeah. And okay. he's also, he's in a way, like, deftly combining this real life kind of, like, he's talking about the formation of the Rust Belt. You know, he's talking about the death of industrial America and yeah. all of these, uh, all of the shit that got Donald Trump elected kind of started with, you know, in the 80s when these manufacturing jobs started to leave the U.S. and Dusty Rhodes had his finger on the pulse enough to call out the people, you know, the first people who were starting to feel that. Which is insane. And he definitely, he says, a few. there are a few things. He says, uh, we all know what hard times are, Daddy, and we all had hard times together. And then he says, and he just slips it in. He says, and Ric Flair, you put hard times on this country by taking the American dream out. So he's talking about all of these manufacturing jobs disappearing. And he's talking about, you know, textile workers being out of work and people not being able to feed their families and they're getting their cars repossessed. And then he says, and also Ric Flair, when you broke my ankle, you added to this stress as, as if his presence on television was you know an equal 
force in the opposite direction as these people losing their jobs. Well, obviously, that's true. But, you know, when you think about it, it's like, hey, that's an insane assertion to make. But in the moment, you're like, yeah, hey, yeah. Yeah, fuck you, Ric Flair. Yeah, fuck you, Ric Flair. And, and then he says, uh, to the, uh, toward the end, he says, I'll leave you with this. One way to hurt Ric Flair is to take what he loves most, and that's the World Heavyweight Championship. And he, he mentions that he had been champion two times before that, and that he wanted to take the title from Ric Flair, but he didn't want to do it for him. He wanted to do it as a populist, right? He wants to make sure that the championship is, you know, it's a meritocracy, so he's trying to take Ric Flair down a peg. And by doing that, he's like trying to return the power to the people in a weird roundabout way. Right. That's what he's implying. If that's actually what he wants, who knows? But that's what it, he makes it seem like in his very impassioned, I'm for the people, I'm with the people, I'm here for you because of you. Yeah. I represent you. And he holds up. And then he holds up his hand and, like, honestly, it's cheesy as hell, but I get chills sometimes when I watch this promo. And he Aww. and he holds his hand up and he goes, my hand is touching your hand. And I'm like, holy shit, Dusty. Like, he just fucking improvises this. And, he, and then he says, the love that was given to me, I will repay you now. So he's, he's contextualizing this whole wrestling feud as... You know, it's different than Hulk Hogan getting strong when you chant his name. Yeah. You know, it's much more layered. It's much more uh, cathartic, I think. And it is, but also never say the phrase Hulk Hogan getting strong to me <laughs> ever again. <laughs> well, let me tell you something, brother. Uh, well. Uh, <laughs> this is over. Goodbye. So... And Dusty, of course, ends with, he, he blows the audience a kiss, and he says, uh, God bless you, and I love you. Which is super sweet. I love you too, Dusty. Thank you. I needed that. So that's Dusty Rhodes. And, man, like, we, we can talk about this as, you know, um, college-educated <laughs> professionals with relatively white-collar careers born north of the Mason Dixon line. Yes. And we can talk about how effective this speech is rhetorically. You know, talk about how Dusty knows how to push these buttons and how impassioned he is and how you could really see how effective this would be. But I can't even imagine the swell of support I would feel for Dusty if I was in the group that he was speaking to. Oh, absolutely. You know what I mean? It's just, it's, it's inconceivable to me how powerful that would be if I were in that, if I were in that group that he was sort of casting at, which again is how Trump got elected, I guess. Yes, that is exactly how he got elected, unfortunately. But that's, <laughs> the, but that's Dusty Rhodes. And 
I think part of the reason that Dusty Rhodes is so successful as this common man, you know, working man's blue collar hero is because of the incredible antagonist, you know, this the incredible fortune that he has to be sort of lined up against Ric Flair. Jesus fucking Christ, Ric Flair. Every time... We've talked about him before. He comes up all the time. We talked oh, about... Oh, my God. We talked about Ric Flair. Okay, you have not seen peak Ric Flair until we watched this homework today, right? Correct, because I saw Grandpa Ric Flair. You saw crazy old still, man Ric Flair. Right, who was still a dick, but this is like... Coked out. I... I have words, and also at the same time, I don't have words. I'm holy shit is my overarching feeling of peak Ric Flair. Just woo. Yeah. So, I mean, well said. Um, we, I sent you. There's, there's a lot of nuance to Ric Flair, also, and part of the thing with Ric Flair is as he gets older, he becomes more of a caricature of himself. Naturally. And he's Don't we all? and the guy's always a caricature. I mean, just look at him and listen to him. But he really was just like yelling and screaming, you know, towards the end in his, you know, his his catchphrases and etc. But I sent you a few different clips of Ric Flair hyping. Well, not hyping this match because these guys wrestled a million times over like a ten year stretch, like eternal rivalry. Right. But Ric Flair. I it, didn't know what he was talking about half the time. All I got was just how great he is and how rich he is and how he loves gold. That's well, it. Well, there's a few different speeds of Ric Flair, right? So there was the one video I sent you that was like, uh, I forget what the name of it was. It was like Ric Flair tells it like it is or something like that. Yeah. And he's a little bit more subdued. And yeah, he's a little bit. A little bit. And he's like, not, he, he's, I don't want to call it an indoor voice, but he's not shrieking. Yes. And he, that's ke- true. And he keeps his sunglasses on. And compared to Dusty Rhodes, Ric Flair dresses like a million fucking dollars. Right. I mean, but it's not really a fair comparison because obviously Dusty Rhodes shops at. Walmart. <laughs> Dusty Rhodes st- shops at truck stop gift shops. There it is. Yeah, he's Cracker Barrel, you know, polyester shirts all over it. Yep. Yeah, pr- Otherwise, f- any kind of free promotional T-shirt, Dusty's all over it. Yeah, the ones that come out of the cannons at like NASCAR events. <laughs> Perfect. Done. That's it. Dusty loves that shit. But- right. And Ric Flair. I mean, anyone above that is, you know, but ostensibly better. But. He comes out, and this is something that I think is missing in today's wrestling. A lot of wrestlers today will wear, when they're not wrestling, either in backstage segments or interviews, will just be wearing their wrestling attire. Boo. Or be re- or be wearing, like, the t-shirt that you can buy on WWEshopzone.com. Well, they probably have to. Yeah. They probably contract with that. But, like, no, you're either wearing your outfit or you're wearing merch. Fuck you. But, this is all you are now. But it, I think it kind of, it makes them feel more like real people. 
and it makes their conflict feel more real. And I want to talk about that video where Ric Flair and his friends jump Dusty Rhodes in the parking lot because that is like some crazy-ass reality TV, very believable carnage. That was some cop shit. I know, it's crazy, but I, let's just let's finish up talking about Ric Flair first. He's, he's, got, the, he's got this speech, and what I always love about Ric Flair's interviews is that he always compliments his opponent. Did you notice that? Where yeah, he's, he did. I forget what exactly he said, but he did say something. Well, he compliments them by way of complimenting himself because he says, uh, he talks about, uh, you know, we're in Jim Crockett promotions, you know, the, the National Wrestling Alliance, the best wrestlers in the world are here. Oh, he's talking about uh, in this era of free agency. Yeah. He goes, in this era of free agency, the best work for the highest bidder. And he talks about how the company that he's working for has uh, the Four Horsemen, which are his friends. They have Dusty Rhodes. They have the Road Warriors. They have him. They have Magnum TA. And he's naming all these major stars and talking about how great they all are and how they're the best in the world. And then he says, and they have me and I've beaten them all. Right. So by way of complimenting everybody else on the show, Ric Flair understands that if you beat a nobody, you're a nobody. If you beat a star, you're a superstar. So, yeah, makes sense. so Ric Flair always understood that. And I, a lot of times Ric Flair will name drop people in his speeches that he's not actively wrestling with or feuding against just because he wants... He he can, and because he's trying to create this narrative of this world of the show. You know, a lot of times in modern wrestling, if, you know, John Cena is feuding with The Undertaker, he only ever talks about The Undertaker, and he only wrestles The Undertaker, and all of his interviews are about The Undertaker, and ditto for The Undertaker. It's not like The Undertaker's like, hey, I'm tired of fighting John Cena, I want to fight somebody else now. It's none of that. You know, these two guys are going to be locked in, in this endless cycle with each other until it's over, and that's it. Whereas Ric Flair and this world, the National Wrestling Alliance, that he's the sort of top dog of and the figurehead of, he's creating a world where all the characters exist at the same time. They have relationships with each other that are not just, you know, they don't end when the show ends. Ric Flair... And his friends, the Four Horsemen, like, you would expect to see them together outside of a wrestling event. And you wouldn't expect to see Ric Flair and Dusty Rhodes being nice to each other outside of a wrestling event. And it, in that way, it feels more real. And I guess that brings us to Ric Flair... Uh, coked out. Coked out and screaming. So he starts just kind of talking about how great he is and how great the competition is, but he's better than them. And then what happens is when somebody steps to Ric Flair and somebody pushes Ric Flair and somebody forces him to confront the fact that he might be wrong about the fact that he's the best, that's when he loses his shit. That's, yeah. that's when... The sunglasses come off, and he starts ripping off his uh, <laughs> ripping off his jacket and just screaming about how much each garment that he's taking off costs. Yep, his hundred dollar pleated slacks. Yeah, <laughs> hundred dollar pleated slacks. That. And I was wearing a 
<laughs> right, he like lifts them up and throws them because he doesn't even give a shit. $15,000 Rolex watch. Cashmere, cashmere sweater. Yeah, which he rips off and be like the worst Mr. Rogers. And the, and the fucking, what does he say, ultra suede? Yes. That doesn't even sound like a real thing, but apparently it is. it is. I think it's bullshit. I think he made it up. And, and then he's talking about the, uh, there's a legendary one where he just holds up his shoes and screams at somebody, these shoes cost more than your house. And he talks about, and that's why I live on the biggest house in town, the biggest house on the biggest hill and the biggest part of town. And it becomes about him being better than everybody else. You know, if it looks like somebody might be able to beat him at wrestling, then the question becomes, if he can't hang his hat on that, he has to find every other way to scream about how he's better than them. So that's why he's screaming about his, you know, ten thousand or $15,000 Rolex watch and his Rolls Royce and his, right. uh, <laughs> and his Mercedes Benz and his, uh, get a real car. A Mercedes Benz don't have a motorcycle. That's right. <laughs> he calls it a funky motorcycle, which is fun. <laughs> yeah. Which, yeah. That's a great term. Honestly, I might steal that, but like, wait, what? You're not a real band if you don't have a Mercedes Benz. Like, I'm pretty sure that's a Janis Joplin song. So maybe, <laughs> maybe not. Well, that that I guess that brings us to the to the part where we see that Ric Flair, when he's challenged, can go a little overboard, and he becomes his whole thing is based on being the best and proving that he's the best through wrestling. So if he gets the sense that somebody can disprove that everything that he's built crumbles, right? If he's not the champion, then he's not the best. Nothing. And if he's not the yeah. best, then he's nothing. Yeah, then he's all. nothing because he doesn't, all of his, you know, if he's not the champion, all of a sudden he's going to be behind on, on the payments for that huge house and the Mercedes Benz and his friends that he's bought. And these guys that watch his back, they're going to, they're going to disappear. Ric Flair doesn't have real friends. Ric Flair doesn't have, uh, you know, he's not fulfilled in a real way. And so, so, because his success is so conditional, and his superiority is so conditional, that's why he's so sensitive about losing his status. Yes. And that leads us to the this attack on Dusty Rhodes, where he and his friends uh, pull pull into a parking lot behind Dusty Rhodes and they jump him and they beat the shit out of him with a baseball bat. And tie him to a truck. Tie his hands up like he's Jesus. Yeah, they tie he's his hands... Yeah, they tie his hands up to a truck in a Christ pose and then they, they break his hand with the baseball bat and they the, the video glitches out and it pauses so you don't see it and then they have the little black dot over Dusty's hand yeah. which is really gruesome and the whole thing is grainy and it's filmed on like... Uh, it's filmed by like a freelance cameraman that they keep yelling at. Yeah, I was gonna say the cameraman keeps being like, "Guys, this is fucked up. We shouldn't do this." And they're like, "Shut up! Preparing you to film. Get in there." And I'm like, "What?" Yeah, it's and this is like, Horrible. and this is what I'm talking about, like the world that they're creating, right? Because you would never see this in modern WWE. You would never see, uh, you would never see John Cena essentially outside the arena 
You know, right. if he's going to go outside the arena, he'll be like fighting somebody in the parking lot of the arena. But you never, right. you wouldn't see John Cena out in the real world getting jumped by yeah. opponents. Yeah, getting jumped on the street with people nearby who are not in on it. Like that was happening in a real parking lot in Atlanta, and there's real cars going by in the background. It feels real. It does. And that makes the rivalry feel so much more intense. Um, now we skipped we skipped past this uh, because this was like a late addition to the uh, to the homework. But I also sent you the video of Ric Flair talking about Dusty Rhodes' friend Ron Garvin. Yes, yes, we have much to unpack here. And and this is Ric Flair being. You could see that he's a little bit less threatened by Ron Garvin than he is by Dusty Rhodes because, in, in a way, Ron Garvin is the sidekick to Dusty Rhodes. He's like a blue-collar guy. What's that? Arn Anderson. Yeah, he's similar to Arn Anderson. He's like the good guy Arn Anderson, I guess. Okay. So, but you look, you've taught me so much, Matt. <laughs> Do you catch the Arn Anderson, uh, Arn Anderson cameo in the, the parking lot attack? Yes, I did. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Yeah. It's like, oh my god. Um, so Ron Garvin is very much the the sort of sidekick to Dusty. He's like, a t- they called him Hands of Stone. And I think Flair, when Flair's talking about him, he goes Hands of Stone and like throws up his hands in a goofy little old timey boxing pose. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So Ron Garvin's thing is that he's just an old scrappy. He's not like Popeye, you know, just this old scrappy brawler. <laughs> And he's got a hell of a left hook, and he'll catch you with it and knock you on your ass. So the whole impetus of this feud was that Dusty and his friends were fighting with Flair and his friends, and in the scuffle, Ron Garvin knocked Flair out. Like, knocked him the fuck out. Like, caught him with a surprise left, and Flair was out, like spread eagle in the middle of the ring on national TV. So, So Flair is obviously embarrassed and his move is to come on TV and try to big league Ron Garvin. And he's again talking about, you know, his lizard shoes and his Rolex and this and that. And this is again him talking about, you know, what it means to be a champion and a certain class of person can be a champion and, you know, blue collar people essentially can't. And he goes on to talk about the absurdity and he goes you know a champion has to wear a tailored suit and the champion has to have a long black limousine and champion has to live in a big house and and he says to ron garvin he's like what would you do with this championship belt would you take in your old beat-up pickup truck would you take it to the corner bar and drink with all the other rednecks? Would you be on the cover of Field and Stream? Would you take it? Uh, <laughs> would you take it with you, driving down the road with that golden retriever you call a woman? <laughs> Which is, to me, hysterical. Because I mean, it's not just a dog. It's a, a golden retriever. Dog. It's a specific dog. It's. It's the most basic dog. <laughs> right. And I guess he's calling her basic before basic was a thing. So he couldn't really be like, you basic. He'd be like, what the hell does that mean? Right. But also, golden retrievers are like pretty. 
and faithful and smart and good dogs. Like, if you're going to call a woman a dog, like, call her a pug, call her a shih tzu, call her, like, some kind of fucking ugly bulldog. Like, call her, you know, some kind of, call her a Rottweiler, even. Don't I, call her a golden retriever. That sounds like a compliment. Well, Ric Flair wouldn't value loyalty or... In a in a in a woman, I don't think Ric Flair would would uh, would give a shit about loyalty or intelligence or a good Just heart or any of that. Yeah, essentially, like if Ric Flair is gonna fuck a dog, he's gonna fuck a poodle with uh with very boobs. yeah poodle with boobs. Yes, <laughs> you you heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. But yeah, poodles. And I I just love that he he says uh, <laughs> he specifically says. Would you drive down the road with that golden retriever you call a woman and talk to her? <laughs> I <had> forgot. <laughs> and talk to her. And then there's a half a beat, and then he goes, come on, pal. And he's so dismissive. And he's so smug, and he's such a shithead. And he claims that he's the best, but he's got... You know, these four to five cronies who are always hanging around fighting his battles for him and jumping his enemies in parking lots and breaking their hands and breaking their legs. And he's... It just makes you salivate to see somebody put him in his place. Okay, so I I, I have... All right, earlier I, I know we were talking and I mentioned the golden retriever and stuff. Yes. And his one speech was called The Golden Spoon. Yes. And the one interview with him was talking about how he wears 10 pounds of gold. Yes. And all this gold about him. So I was calling him a gold member from Austin Powers and the whole, I love gold. He really, yeah. Well, I I have an update to that that I've been thinking about when we've been talking. Oh, do tell. So he also says golden retriever. Yes. He talks about the golden spoon, which... Also is wrong because it's a fucking silver spoon, but I think he just doesn't realize that because he only likes gold. Well, his is better. Right. It's course. better. That's the first place spoon. Oh my god! But you know, I have decided now that he is gold member mixed with Dennis Reynolds from It's Always Sunny. <laughs> yeah. The Golden God. He's the Golden God with gold member. The he Golden Boy. But <laughs> but no, there's a lot of there's a lot of Dennis Reynolds to him, right? When he's like. Turning red and screaming, you know, his rage is untethered and knows no bounds. Yes, I am untethered, and my rage knows no bounds. Yeah, I'm a five-star man. I'm a five-star man. Like, that is exactly who he is. Like, you threaten him at all, and he has a gang of friends who will beat the shit out of you because he says to in a parking lot or anywhere else. Who cares? If he has the cronies, he has the gang, and... <laughs> uh, yeah, and he just goes irate. He probably is into some weird fetish shit. I like to bind. I like to be bound. Like, <laughs> saying that and the rage and yeah, so he's he's Dennis Reynolds mixed with gold member. That's my final verdict on for Flair. That's a solid read. That's a solid read on Flair. Thank you. I, I just as we were talking here, I was like, oh my god, and he calls himself the Golden God too. You know, yep. he probably had like the flair system for picking up chicks, like flaunt well, how great you are, <laughs> lie about how great you are, <laughs> <laughs> insist how great you are. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. He had a whole announce how great you are, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> reinforce how great you are. <laughs> yeah, 
and maybe at some point wrestle. So Ric Flair just begs, he begs to be beaten, right? A villain, a villain of this quality demands a challenger to rise up and, you know, make him eat his words. And one of the most frustrating things about Ric Flair is that Ric Flair is almost as good as he says he is. I know because you want Ric Flair to be terrible, right? You want him to be incompetent and you want him to be, you know, easy to shut up, but he's not. Ric Flair is one of the best wrestlers who ever lived. And he had a skill set that not a lot of other wrestlers had. He had, he knew how to whittle down any opponent. He knew, you know, all of his moves are based on, driving the life out of you. He's got those chops to the chest that make it hard for you to breathe. He had more cardio than any other wrestler. He was prepared to go 60 minutes every night if he had to, knowing that his opponents only had enough wind to go maybe 30 minutes. They always said the longer a match goes, the more it favored Ric Flair. So he was a genius strategist and you know, 90% of the time, he didn't need his friends to beat you up for him. 90% of the time, he could do it himself. But it's that 10% of the time when the person is just tough enough to persevere, just tough enough to come within striking distance of knocking Flair on his ass, that's when he calls in the reinforcements. Because not only will he not be beaten, he won't be embarrassed. Of course. Although, I do have a question. Yeah. Why is his nickname the Nature Boy, or just Nature Boy? Because there's nothing natural about him. So, like, how <laughs> did that come about? And why isn't he the Golden Boy? Because that <laughs> is a way more accurate nickname. Sorry, Jane. So, like, wh- how? Because he kept calling himself the Nature Boy, Nature Boy. I'm like, what, what, well, why? In the in the 1960s, the, we're we're in the 1980s right now in Flair's heyday, but in the 1960s there was a guy called Nature Boy Buddy Rogers. And he was like the prototype Ric Flair. He had the robes. He had the bleach blonde hair. Um, He didn't quite have the, uh, like, the Reaganite shit down, because obviously. But but he was more of a a generic wrestling villain. Like, his catchphrase was, when he won, when he won, he was the first WWE champion, uh, Buddy Rogers. Uh And when he won it, the the quote that he said was, To a nicer guy, it couldn't happen. So he was very much like an old school tough guy, and it was just like a look for him. But back then, Nature Boy was what you called somebody who was into eating well and exercising. Oh. Okay. Like there was a time when eating well and exercising and caring about what went into your body was, like, suspicious and maybe a little gay. Right, just like reusable shopping bags and recycling is now, yes. Right, so to call a guy nature boy in the 50s or 60s was to imply that, you know, he was maybe a little, eh? Sexual. Right, and and so, you know, you care too much about your appearance, you're a little vain, you're a little concerned about your you know, your diet and all of that was maybe a little bit too feminine. And the, okay. the, the nature boy thing I think came from like, uh, these guys wanting to look like Tarzan. 
so, he does not look like Tarzan. Well, sorry. He's no. the nature. They called him Nature Boy because of the fact that he was a little bit of a pretty boy. He leans into it, does the bleached hair, does the frilly robes, and that's how the Nature Boy character gets associated with that. Ric Flair grew up watching Buddy Rogers, and he adopted the character for himself, and then added the whole, like, I was born better, I was born wealthy. He adds the, all those layers in, and. Believe it or not, there have been other Nature Boys after Ric Flair. There was a guy, Nature Boy Buddy Landell. There was another guy, Nature Boy Roger Kirby. And they all kind of went off the Flair mold where they tried to do the uh, the bleach blonde hair and the, uh, the robes and everything. But Ric Flair kind of... Uh, you know, it's like Bela Lugosi wasn't the first Dracula, but he'll always be Dracula. Right. Got it. Ric Flair wasn't the first Nature Boy, but no other Nature Boy at this point is gonna. Boy. Yeah, no, no other Nature Boy at this point is gonna replace him in the public consciousness. Okay, thank you for explaining that because I was very confused as to why he, of all wrestlers, <laughs> was fucking Nature Boy. That yeah, does not make sense to me. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't make sense at first. At first blush, I'll give you that. You would expect now, Nature Boy to be a Tarzan type, right? Exactly. That's why I was like. Uh, uh, my thirteen thousand dollar watch. Like what? Is that? Nature? My thirteen thousand dollar puppet tent. Rolex watch. <laughs> my uh, canteen. <laughs> I inherited. Yeah, yeah. I love that when his voice breaks. I inherited. <laughs> so crazy. Oh. oh my god! Multiple times in a row on inherited. Yep. Inherited. <laughs> yeah. So you want somebody you want somebody to knock Flair on his ass. You want somebody to show Flair that it actually it doesn't matter who your parents are and it doesn't matter you know what kind of money you have and it doesn't matter what kind of house you live in, it doesn't matter what kind of car you drive. What matters in the business of wrestling is how well you wrestle. And exactly. so the fans know that Dusty Rhodes is the guy to beat Flair. But Flair has all these friends, and he has friends in high places, and he's, you know, chummy with the NWA board of directors, and he's, you know, he's always, you know, they they imply that, you know, maybe some of the referees are in Flair's pockets, so the deck is stacked, and Dusty Rhodes a number of times comes close to beating Ric Flair. At one point, he does pin Ric Flair, and they award him the title, but then... You know, they reverse the decision and they give it back to Flair because, you know, they found that they found that there was some interference. And so Dusty Rhodes so many times has come so close to unseating Ric Flair and from taking the title from Flair. And it's been years like the uh, the initial leg breaking, I think, was like 84. And by the time we get by the time we get to the match, we're going to watch in just a few minutes. It's 1986 already. Good Lord. So, at this point, he has never beaten Flair. He's beaten Flair. He's pinned Flair in, like, tag team matches right? and, and stuff. But. And he's he's gotten an upper hand on Flair in different fights. But he's not definitively taken that title off of Flair. Okay. There was that one time, you know, uh, he talks about Starcade 85, the gathering in the Hard Times promo. And, right. and getting that match with Ric Flair. And he does get that match with Ric Flair. And he pins Ric Flair at that show, and they award him the title. But then the next they night, reversed it. they reverse the decision because they're like, oh, actually, uh, 
you know, on review, Arn Anderson had interfered in the match and the referee didn't see it, but it would be unfair to let the championship change hands on, <laughs> on uh, you know, something like this. So they give him a rematch and the rematch ends in a disqualification and Flair tries to move on and Dusty has to chase him again and again and on and on it goes. And Flair loudly and loudly and more loudly and more loudly insisting that he's beaten Dusty Rhodes and proved that he's better than Dusty Rhodes and Dusty just determined to take that from him and prove that he can. Right. And that brings us to The Great American Bash, 1986. Yes. And this is a cage match. Oh, I didn't know that. Is this your first cage match? Yeah, I'm excited. So, the thing about a cage match is it levels the playing field. Right, because now it doesn't matter how many friends Ric Flair has, they can't come in. That's great. It doesn't matter, you know, Flair can't escape. It's the ultimate way to resolve this, right? You've got Dusty, you've got Flair, you have this issue. Who's better? Everything else aside, these two guys are going to enter this cage and one of them is going to beat the other one. And that's it. At the end of the day, that's it. And if Flair loses, he will have no excuses. And if Dusty loses, all of this will have been for nothing. The stakes could not be higher. Oh, this is going to be good. I'm into it. Yep, and we'll also find out why both of these guys bleach their hair. I mean, why not? They look so great, and it obviously does wonders for the health of their hair, because it looks so natural and so <laughs> hydrated on both of them. <laughs> Actually, there, Flair's hair. I, I, I gotta say, Flair's, Flair's hair is better than Dusty's hair, right? Oh, well, yeah. Well, again, he didn't. His, you know, hairstylist didn't have his father die midway through the perm. Right. So that but makes a hell of a lot of a difference. The earlier back in the '80s you go, Flair's hair looks a lot better. Like it becomes more of a mullet later in the '80s, but in the very early '80s, it's just sort of like this Fabio kind of kind of thing and you know you have you also haven't seen Ric Flair physically in his prime either you've only seen like doughy old man Ric Flair that's true Ric I have so this is gonna be different yeah Ric Flair was never like a bodybuilder but you'll see you'll see Ric Flair and you'll you'll get his body being like oh okay his body is optimized for wrestling I get it yeah I already have after watching the promos who I would want I want a biopic of Ric Flair, and I know who I want to star in it. Like, I'm already playing it in my mind, and I think it would be great. Who do you want to play Ric Flair? Bobby Cannavale. Oh! He would be an excellent coked-out Ric Flair. Oh, yeah. He would be with the blonde wig and just going all fucking crazy, because I watched him on vinyl, and that was basically half his character, was him going fucking crazy on cocaine, and I was like, oh my god. He would be an excellent Ric Flair. That's a that's a solid pick. Thank I have no you. I have no idea who you'd pick for Dusty Rhodes. Dusty Rhodes is such a singular character. Bobby Moynihan. Bobby Mo you think Bobby Moynihan could do it? I don't know that he has the I don't know if he has the range. I think he could I think he'd do a decent job. But I might change my opinion on that. But Cannavale definitely would be an excellent Ric Flair. Even kind of facially similar in like the way that coked out expressions worked i was like holy shit he yeah. would be great at this yeah you're right yeah. well get that made you're listening right I, hollywood get that shit made 
fuck out of that. I, I, I mean, seriously, just like coked out, hit like Ric Flair, Bobby Cannavale, just like freaking the fuck out. I, I mean, I love him every time he does that. So I would super watch him as Ric Flair in a blonde wig doing the same thing. Well, Nicole, ju- it's just about time to watch Ric Flair do his thing. Perfect. All right. So, do you have the uh, do you have the the link up? I do. All right. Do you have your sound off? I do. Okay. So, we are. Oops. <gasps> go go back to the beginning here. Right, so we're watching Ric Flair versus Dusty Rhodes. This is for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship, the proverbial ten pounds of gold. Which, by the way, every time you say NWA, I think of the rap group. And I'm like, what the hell do they have to do with this? And I'm like, <laughs> oh, right, right, no. <laughs> so, yeah, it's Ric Flair versus Dusty Rhodes in a steel cage match for the 10 pounds of gold at the Great American Bash of 1986. And uh, we're going to press play in three, two, one, and go. So... We got Dusty here first. He's got his kind of like cowboy jacket. And we see Ric Flair. Look at that fucking oh my robe. God. He was paying $10,000 per robe for these things in the, uh, oh in the 80s. In the 80s. This is, what I, this is what I'm saying. All this shit that he's talking about, all these prices that he's throwing around, these are 80s dollars. That's true. Oh, my God. And they're still really ugly. <laughs> now hold Let's on. Let's be real. Like I've seen some. I've watched enough wrestling things with you by now. Like, uh, like, are, hold I've on. Are you telling me that Ric Flair's '80s robes are worse than like whatever Elton John was wearing in the '80s? Because you're wrong. Uh, I'm gonna disagree with you on that one. I think Elton John's stuff was better. That looked very cheap. That was some cheap ass satin. He spent all the money on the rhinestones that said Nature Boy and not enough on the fabric. So, we'll agree to disagree on Flair's wardrobe, <laughs> but... I do like his purple panties, though. He's Those got the nice. purple panties, and get uh, get a load of the physique on Flair. Yeah, he's got some abs going on. And his, uh, he's, got, he's got pretty big arms. Flair's looking good. I mean, this is pretty much as yeah. good as Flair ever looked. And we saw them cross the ring and just sort of get in each other's faces and this already feels epic this feels like a final battle and we haven't even started yet i do like dusty's boots too those were some pretty sweet cowboy boots. oh the cowboy boots absolutely dusty always wrestled in cowboy boots i respect the hell out of that and the uh, gold dust when he was uh, when he was younger and was wrestling as dustin rhodes wore them too yes so he still wear them so flair goes for that little fake out and strut to try to psych out dusty and Dusty, and Dusty fires right back, and this is what I'm. This is what I mean with Dusty, uh, not really moving like a wrestler. That was beautiful, though. The, that that wacky little kind of effeminate strut, and then he like leans in the corner like fucking Bugs Bunny. Yeah, that was pretty beautiful. Oh. And here we have it. Dusty is knocking the shit out of Flair with these with these punches and we see here this is Dusty Rhodes' fighting style he wants to be on his hand throwing punches and look at that Flair tries to roll to the floor to get a breather and slowly realizes he can't and you see Flair drops to a knee and look at his eyes you could see him 
realizing right now that this is it. There's no escaping Dusty Rhodes, and there's no escaping this fight. And he yells at the referee that, hey, Dusty hit me with a closed fist. you got to watch that shit. <laughs> and it's also telling that Flair dropped to a knee, and he trusted Dusty to be a good dude and not attack him while he caught his breath. And he didn't. And he didn't, because Dusty's a good dude. But, of course, he's under no obligation to do that. You know, it's not like boxing. You don't have to wait for your opponent to get up before you can keep attacking them. Right. He just was like, you know what? No, I'll let him catch a breath. I'll be nice. Yep. And now we have uh, we have a little bit of grappling here, and we have Dusty working the wrist. Yeah, it's... I love that moment of Flair trying to roll to the floor. Oh, look at that. He's trying to take a shortcut by throwing Dusty into the cage. And it didn't work. And uh, Dusty hits him with the no, 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 not in my house. The little uh, finger wag. <laughs> so, so I talked before about Ric Flair's strategy being to control the pace of the match and to let his superior conditioning win the match for him. That's not really something you can necessarily do in a cage match. No, you know, that doesn't seem possible. If your opponent is putting a lot of heat on you in a regular match, you can roll to the floor and you have 10 seconds to get back inside. You can completely disrupt whatever momentum they had going. Flair can't do that. If Dusty Rhodes wants to get on him and stay on him, there's nothing Flair can do. Flair has no way... You know, he's going to have to fight Dusty Rhodes every step of the way. He doesn't get to decide the flow of the match. He has to force the flow of the match. So... In a way, Dusty's got an advantage because Flair is having to wrestle the kind of match that he, his style specifically prevents him from trying to have. Well, that sucks. I know. I know, it sucks for Flair. And now uh, Dusty's just just sort of working his arm, I guess. he's, uh, You know, he's picking an arm. It's not like Flair had a bad arm or anything like that, but... If you're going to pick an arm, if you're going to pick a body part to work, you might as well pick an arm because how is somebody supposed to grapple you or strike you if they've got a bad arm? Exactly. It's a smart move. Yep. Also, I do like Flair's boots. They are like high-top, shiny, maroon Doc Martens, and I'm into that, too. Good, oh, with good footwear happening here. Monogram, too. Yeah. The RF. Like well, Dusty has DR on his panties. Yep. Oh, that was cool. Like yep, that. the hip toss, and uh, we see. Oh! oh no. <laughs> Flair goes for the chop, and Dusty just shrugs it off and knocks Flair on his ass with another chop. And now Flair is like scooting away on his ass in a panic. Oh, yelling now. See, Bobby Cannavale, can't you see it? You can totally yep. see it. And now you see Flair trying to play these mind games. He screams at Dusty, come on! And Dusty goes to charge in, and Flair is begging off. So he's, you can see that he's maybe trying to sucker Dusty in. He's trying every trick in the book to try to get some kind of psychological advantage or any kind of physical advantage in this match. But so far, Dusty has had an answer for everything he's tried to do. I hope he keeps it up because I really want him to beat Ric Flair. But we shall see. Look at the... I, I love that Ric Flair is such a good actor. If you look at his his eyes, there's like no confidence there. He's doing such a good job of physically communicating, you know, being in over his head. 
Yeah, being like, oh, shit, I did not plan for any of this. Yep. And look at that. Dusty fucking presses him overhead. And Flair, again, begging off, please, no, Dusty, please, no. And Dusty's getting in his face there to um, <laughs> to, to kind of jack jaws with him. And now here's Dusty laying in those punches, and Flair manages to kick him in the gut. So you see here, Flair, this is how smart Flair is, set this up. When Dusty was punching him before, Flair screamed at the referee, hey, make sure uh, he's using closed fists. Make sure you check on those closed fists. So when Dusty has in the corner, yep, when Flair's in the corner and Dusty's punching him, the referee is like, oh, right, Flair said he was doing closed fists. Let me check. So he goes to see if Dusty's using closed fists. Flair uses that as a distraction to kick Dusty. So, Flair is setting these traps, these psychological traps, and waiting for Dusty to walk into them. That one that arm just flailing. I know. And now, Flair manages to get his way to the ropes. He's been in a sleeper hold here, and uh, Dusty has to break the hold now. But Flair has been, aside from a few smart counters here or there, nothing Flair has done has worked. Dusty has has essentially had his way with Flair. Here we go, an elbow drop. First pinfall attempt of the match, one, two, and Flair kicks out. Damn. Yep, but uh, Dusty maintaining arm control, working that same arm and shoulder that he was working before. Flair pushes him to the ropes again. And every time there's been a, a tackle, Dusty Rhodes has come out on top because... He's obviously got the power advantage on Flair. He's got probably 50 pounds on him. But, yeah, we just saw Dusty bounce off the ropes and all that momentum, 300 pounds of him. And Dusty Rhodes was a former football player. All that energy, all that momentum off those ropes, Flair drops to a knee and punches him right in the stomach. So, again, he kicked him in the stomach before and now another vicious blow to the stomach. And now... Dusty's stunned enough that Flair is able to take him face first into the steel cage. Jesus, the whole cage shifted. Yeah. Like it. Oh my god. So now we see Flair's comfortable, right? Dusty's on the ground. Flair has a minute to walk around, regain his composure, breathe a little bit, and think about his next move. So this is comfortable, Ric Flair. This is Ric Flair with his opponent at his mercy. This is where Ric Flair is dangerous, and into the cage again with with Dusty. Jesus. Dusty collapses, and there we see the blood. Hey, and now you know why he bleaches his hair. Uh, Because that's a fucking visual, to see a guy with bleach blonde hair and that shock of red through it. Knee drop right to the open wound. That's that's nice of him. All right, Dusty, if he tries to do that again to you, don't let him. And that's a, he tries to put you in a little trap. Don't hurt me, Dusty. I'm just a little guy. <laughs> no, don't believe him. And here we go. He's uh, just fucking grinding Dusty's face straight oh. against the straight against Jeez. the chain link. Oh my god, like a cheese grater. Like a cheese grater. And Dusty on autopilot trying to escape the ring now, but there's a cage there. <laughs> And Flair just shredding that face. Ooh, dead ass. 
Yep, and now Flair with some of those closed fists and the referee's making him stop. Yeah. And there's Dusty again with his signature Christ pose in case we're supposed to forget. <laughs> yeah, right? That's like the eighth time I've seen that, and I've seen this man for like oh. ten minutes. What's happening? So Flair uh, dropped to the floor and pulled Dusty's throat against the top rope. And then shoves the referee for good measure. But what Flair's doing here is... We've seen him attack Dusty's midsection and now attacking his throat. He's trying to make it hard for Dusty to breathe. He wants yeah. every second that Dusty Rhodes is awake in this ring to be agony. Oh, and the ankle. Is and that the bad ankle? That's the bad ankle. Oh, shit. Now, the bad ankle is almost two... That injury is almost two years old at this point, but it's still bad. Flair knows where it is because he's the one who injured it. Oh, well, isn't that convenient? It sure is, huh? Another stomp right to Dusty's ankle. And now we see uh, Dusty Rhodes' real talent, right? We saw him, we saw that energy with him on top. But now you see this, uh, he's like a, a wounded lion, you know? Oh my god, yeah, it's just like Mufasa and Scar. Yep, and now Flair dropping all of his body weight on Dusty's shin. Really softening that, that bad leg up. But yeah, Dusty Rhodes... I think it's something to do with his size, I think. It's just, he elicits such sympathy here on the ground. To see a man of this size look so helpless is very kind of uh, unsettling, you know? Yeah, and the blood. And, and the blood. Like, ah, I can't do anything. And, ah. and here's Flair locking in his signature figure four leg lock. You remember he did this to The Undertaker in that other match. Yes, that's right. And this would be this would be the... The biggest arrow in Flair's quiver. This is his finishing move. This is how he wins most of his matches. And he's just spent a minute here softening up Dusty's leg for this hold. That's very sexual right there. That looks very phallic from that angle. <laughs> that foot does not look like a foot right there. <laughs> it's a like. foot long. Uh, he's a big guy. That's, whew, okay. Yep. Dusty uh, can't hold himself up. He collapses. and If Dusty collapses here and stays with his shoulders on the mat for three seconds, that's a pin. Right. Can't let that happen. Yeah, so Dusty, God, that, that blood is ghoulish. He looks like Two-Face. Oh, my God. Oh, that's exactly what he looks like. Jesus. And Dusty trying to roll over, trying to roll over, get some momentum going, get closer to the ropes. Look at that. He's trying to pump himself up, psych himself up. Trying to slap some feeling back into that leg. And Rick's just still yep. jerking off right there. Oh. oh, there he goes. He rolls. He rolls. And Flair grabs the ropes to get a little bit of additional leverage before letting go. Oof. And look at that. Dusty's, Dusty's definitely hurt. And this is Flair. He's predatory now, like a predatory animal, just sort of... Uh, following this guy. Yeah. All right, Rod Stewart, give him a break. Oh. oh this is sad. Come uh, on, Dusty, I believe in you. I know, it's like a bear with his foot caught in a trap. Yeah, oh my God. Uh, another Duh. knee drop right to the head. You know, he's not bleeding there or anything. 
And Dusty kicks out again. Look at that. Flair's, Flair's smiling a little bit now. Oh, it's because they were just holding each other for a minute, and he longs for real human contact. <laughs> His life is so shallow. Men construct, what is it, men construct elaborate rituals to touch each other, something like that? Yep, exactly. Ugh. So Flair with a couple more of these uh, uh, these chops to drive the air out of Dusty. Oh, but Ooh. Dusty off the ropes. It takes Flair out with a, with a lariat. One, two, and Flair, smart enough, he, he knows where his, his feet are. He manages to break the hold by touching the ropes. He doesn't have to expend the energy of kicking out. But it looks like Dusty Rhodes has, oh, elbow drops now. Elbow drops to the head. Ah. And Flair's firing back with chops. Dusty firing back with punches. Uh-oh. <laughs> get him. Get him. by his underwear. <laughs> yeah, Flair at this point trying to escape because Dusty is fired up at this point. And Flair recognizes that Dusty has so much adrenaline going that he's not even feeling all of those little injuries that Flair has inflicted on him so far. And now he's back in the corner going, no, no, no. But in my mind, he's singing Journey. He's like, should have been gone. <laughs> no one how. It's like, he's just full Steve Perry. Oh. Yeah, so basically Dusty's back up and starting to kick Flair's ass again, and it's great. Yep, so this is that this is that catharsis that we're all looking for, right? And we've got Flair's... Oh, his face on the cheese grater now. Yep, Flair's face being... And now we see Flair really coming into his glory, where he's... Uh, and I wish we could hear Ric Flair getting beaten up right now, because he's like, Oh, God! Oh, shit! Oh, God damn it! <laughs> So it's not Journey, is what you're saying. No, it's just, it's, he's just, the air is turning blue around him from how much he's swearing, and oh! Oh, God. Yeah, just thrown in, he was, his head was right close to that post, too, right in the center of the chain link. Uh, yeah. Oh, but he's bleeding out, too. I get it. I get the blonde hair. Yep. And now, Dusty stomps on Flair's ankle. Thank God. This, this whole, uh, this whole thing is about role reversal at this point. And look at that Flair going ass over tea kettle trying to get out of the ring. Desperately trying, literally over the top of the thing, which does not seem like the best idea. I kind of, yep, grab him by the underwear. Oh, fuck. Yeah, look at those the fucking oh wounds to oh the head. God. Yep, Jesus I love Christ. I love the image of Flair realizing, maybe not even consciously, that he doesn't want this. He doesn't want this one-on-one -on -one showdown with Dusty Rhodes. He doesn't want, you know, the potential of being proven wrong. And when it comes down to it, he would rather run than have to face the possibility of a one-on-one -on -one loss like this to Dusty Rhodes. Because it would mean he's wrong about everything, you know? Yep. Oh, my God. He just keeps trying. He really is pulling, like, Rocky from Rocky Horror, just, like, trying to climb up the radio tower at the end <laughs> to no avail. Like, you can't go anywhere. It's not real. It won't help you. Why are you doing this? Oh, what? No. Yep. Oh, And they God. have the same hair, so. Yep. 
Flair just he's just getting smashed against the the chain link over and over again. Oh, and Flair ducks out of the way, and, and Dusty hurts his hand, punching that chain link. And now Flair has another minute to breathe. And at this point, it's kind of, I feel like the leveling, the playing field has leveled once again, you know? They've, yeah. They've both had a, a chance to, uh, to rain holy hell on their opponent. They're both bleeding. They've both been thrown into the cage. Flair uh, climbing up again, this time to try to dive onto Dusty, and gets... Thrown down to the ground, and now here's Dusty applying Flair's own hold to him. Yes. If Dusty could defeat Flair with his own hold, what kind of psychological destruction would that be? Oh my God, he's gonna need so much cocaine later. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say therapy, but also cocaine. No, I mean for anyone else, I would say therapy, but for Ric Flair, I think it would just be cocaine. Man, imagine how different wrestling would be if Ric Flair had a therapist. He wouldn't be here. No. <laughs> this would not be happening. He would just work at a bank or something. Right? It'd be really boring. His pants would not be so expensive. Hundred dollar plated slacks. Oh my god. Six hundred dollars Mexican shoes. <laughs> and of course a whole a whole lot of good those are doing him right now. Right. So he's getting uh <laughs> Wasn't that in Kill Bill? <laughs> I haven't seen Kill Bill actually. Oh, okay. Never but mind. it's entirely possible. I love that Flair's taking these uh he's taking these chops and Dusty went to raise his elbow to hit him with his his finishing move, the bionic elbow, and before he could, Flair just falls face first to the mat. <laughs> and Dusty Rhodes does this weird little like pageant pose. Uh-huh. He's like, yeah, look, I did that. Woo. Yep. Backslide here. Unique pinning combination. One, two, and Flair escapes. Oh, my God. Just give up. Flair punching it at uh, Rhodes' midsection again. Off the ropes. Dusty ducks. Ooh. Oh. A big clothesline. Another elbow drop. Ooh. One, two, and Flair kicks out. See, this is what I'm talking about. Flair is by no means a pushover. He might have some confidence issues that he should be dealing with in a in a more elegant way, but in no way is he not a tough guy. Oh, he's very tough, and yeah, he has the stamina, but holy shit. Yep. Oh, look at that. Kicks Dusty right in the head, and he's up top again. Looks like he's going to try to dive. This is how Ric Flair won his first world championship with a dive off the top rope. One, two, and Dusty kicks out. <sighs> I know, it's so stressful, isn't it? It really is. Oh off the God. ropes again. <laughs> Flair. <laughs> Flair misses Rhodes, runs right into the cage, bounces off. Dusty's there to roll him up. One, two, and not quite three. Off the ropes again. Another elbow drop. And here's Dusty. One more elbow drop, and this time Flair moves out of the way. Are they both going to die? <laughs> they both died in 1986. I knew it. Flair picks him up, and Dusty rolls through. One, two, three, 
And Dusty Rhodes, out of nowhere, is the World Heavyweight Champion. Yay! They didn't die! And there... Yes. <laughs> Dusty screams, drops to his knees, has his little, uh, his Rocky moment. And here's some very 1986 people who are also oh, wow. very excited. And there's uh, there's Dusty's uh, manager, Baby Doll, coming oh, into coming in to congratulate him. Uh, Baby Doll may or may not have been the woman who was a golden retriever. I'm not sure. I was gonna ask. <laughs> she she does kind of have a golden retrieverish energy, huh? Yeah, I can see it. You know, I wouldn't call it a compliment, but it also would not be the worst insult you could say to her. So, you know. So, okay. that's Ric Flair versus Dusty Rhodes in a steel cage at the Great American Bash of 1986. Nicole, what did you think? Well, that was intense. Um, they, yeah, they definitely had very different styles. But they're, yeah, they're direct opposite people with the same crazy, well, not the same, but with crazy blonde hair and speech impediments. Um yeah, I liked it. It was definitely like, oh, what's going to happen? I was very emotionally invested. Yeah, and you're not even like a laid-off textile worker from 1986 Alabama or whatever. <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> but this is this is what wrestling does. This is what wrestling has the ability to do for you because... If you follow a sports team and you love a sports team, right, the sort of catharsis that you get when your team wins is essentially the point of sports. You know, that's why you support a team. That's why you watch a sport, that feeling you get when your guys win. Right. See, this is what people tell me, but I'm from Buffalo, New York, so I don't know what that feels like. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what it feels like either. I don't think I've ever watched a whole professional sports game on purpose. But... <laughs> But I don't know what that is. But what, you know, what, uh, what keeps you going? Maybe you can relate to this. On a team that maybe doesn't win very much, what keeps you going is that feeling and that hope that someday they will. And that feeling, you know, you can have that feeling. And what you're here for is the chance to share this feeling with the team that you support and you know, the other supporters of that team. It's this moment of community and joy and celebration happening at once. And it's this sort of shared feeling, you know, we won. Yes, that would be the Buffalo sports mentality. That I understand. So that's where Dusty Rhodes fans were from 1984 to 1986. So yeah, Rust Belt, Buffalo, this all makes sense. That's why I like him. See all clicking into place yeah and I get it what pro wrestling does is it or should do i should say is manufactures these moments because unlike any other sport pro wrestling gets to decide when to pay off that feeling wrestling knows or has the ability and should know how to strike when the iron is hot re catharsis you are so wise <laughs> I do my best. 
Matt, every time we do this, I feel like I learn so much. And I'm a better person and I understand more about wrestling and, and why it's popular. And and I don't know if I could be on this again because I don't know if I do hate wrestling anymore. But that's not going to stop me and I'm coming back. So oh, that's, that's right. just a warning to you. We have, uh, we have at least at least two more episodes. Yes, everybody get excited. This is going to happen on more occasions. And I need more of my fake Prince wrestler. Yes, yeah, so we're gonna get to we're gonna get to the Velveteen Dream, who's had some yes. he's had some great adventures in the interim since last we spoke, but uh, next up on our on our docket is the Sons of Dusty Roads, and now that we under, now that you understand sort of the legacy and the power and the presence of Dusty Roads, um, you already understand what Gold Dust is all about, and. Uh. You know, the next time, uh, the next time you join me, we'll be talking about the time that Dusty teamed up with his, uh, with his two very weird sons, and had this uh, kind of last heroic last ride. Um, Dusty Rhodes unfortunately passed on a few years ago. No. Yeah. I think he he I think he passed in two thousand thirteen and in. 2010 or 11 he had this great moment with his sons and got to share this uh, incredible experience of the whole Rhodes family kind of uniting on screen it was really cool and uh, now that you've met the two elder Rhodes I hope uh, that uh, that will sort of be enough to get you on board for the catharsis you might feel should the should the Rhodes come out on top in the in their next outing I mean, I've been on board since you told me the very idea of Gold Dust as a wrestler. So, like, I, I've I've had skin in the game, as they say, <laughs> in the NWA um, for a while now. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm very into this whole situation. And uh, R.I.P. Dusty, I actually like you. And I have a cousin whose name is Dusty who I don't like nearly as much as I like this wrestler. So, <laughs> yeah. Just so you know, now the whole world knows. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, cousin Dusty. Sorry, cousin Dusty. Oh, Should have tried being the son of a plumber from Austin, Texas, did it? <laughs> right? If only. If only you just reached out and held out your hand to me. Oh man, there's I, there's got to be a Dusty Rhodes soundboard somewhere out there because he's got some fucking incredible ones. Actually, the Dusty Rhodes DVD set that they came out with like ten years ago, you could squeeze it and it would say different Dusty Rhodes lines. No. <laughs> yeah, you would squeeze it and it would go living on the edge of a lightning bolt. No fucking way. Um. Oh my god. There's funky Amazing. like a funky like a monkey. Um. Although my favorite is probably, uh, I have wined and dined with kings and queens. I've slept in alleys and dined on pork and beans. Oh my god! <laughs> All in the same day. <laughs> All I, in the same day. I, that's, that's incredible. <laughs> and they love that it's like a DVD box set that you can squeeze, like it's like a teddy bear or something. Right, like it's fucking like, Woody. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody pours on the water hole, daddy. There's a snake in my boot. 
pull the string. Oh my god, I can't even do the Woody voice, so I would just do I have wined and dined in the <laughs> voice. <laughs> God, I don't know if I have a Tom Hanks. Um, yeah, that's what I'm like. Uh, I don't think I do either. Uh, I wine and Dine on Kings and Queens. No, that's nothing. I have wine and oh, Dine. Oh, Tara just walked in and gave me like a silent thumbs up like, that was a pretty good Tom Hanks. Thank you. <laughs> it was like that, that, um, that gif of the kid who kind of looks like a young Ryan Gosling at the computer. Oh, doing the thumbs he up. Looks over <laughs> and then he just gives a thumbs yeah. up. It was, was kind of that, but that's what I was intending. Like a... Yeah, Matt just did it perfectly. <laughs> in the face. I I did it at the same time. Over. Oh, <laughs> All right, fantastic. Okay, Nicole, do you have any other feelings about Dusty Rhodes, about Ric Flair, about the American Dream, about the Nature Boy, about the Great American Bash, about uh, uh, breaking somebody's hand in an Atlanta area parking lot? About me again. <laughs> I'm still convinced that Ric Flair and Dennis Reynolds are the same person. Um, hmm. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't know what else there is to say. Really, uh, I really enjoyed it. I was thoroughly entertained. Um, yeah. Okay, so in that case, let me uh, let me say then. One thing that I'm going to insist that everybody go and check out is that uh, after he retired, Dusty Rhodes went on to a long career as a color commentator. Uh-huh. So if you've been enjoying the sort of Dustyisms that I've been peppering into this episode, just imagine a two-hour show that Dusty Rhodes is sort of explaining to you as if you're not watching the show. Oh, my God. It's the most incredible thing. Like, he's objectively bad at it like objectively bad at calling a wrestling show but it's fucking hysterical. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't matter. You don't have to be good at it. No. Um there's a uh <laughs> There's a there's a for here's one of my favorites. There's a move in Japan called the yakuza kick. It's just like this running like twisting above the waist kick, right? Uh-huh. And it's called uh, the Yakuza kick after, like, the Japanese mafia. Right. So when somebody did this move in an American match, one of the commentators, apparently in an effort to translate it, called it the mafia kick. Oh, my gosh. And Dusty Rhodes thought this was the funniest thing and spent the next five minutes just fucking ragging on his colleague on live television, like, the goddamn mafia ain't got nothing to do with it. <laughs> and he goes, oh, just hit him with a Sicilian elbow. Yeah, and uh, the most uh, the most legendary Dusty Rhodes moment is uh, during the sort of street fight between two guys where weapons are involved. They they go backstage and one guy returns from from behind the curtain carrying a bicycle and hits his opponent with it, causing <laughs> Dusty Rhodes to like lose his shit and go, "He got a bicycle." Where'd it get a bicycle in the arena? I don't know where the kid was that was riding it, but he ain't on it when it came in here. Oh <laughs> Dusty Rhodes on commentary. Fucking I, more gold than Ric Flair would know I what to do with. I wish he had 
commentated on the ladies' match in Japan we watched with the motorcycles because he would have just lost his shit. Oh, I bet Dusty Rhodes. Com- I'll, I'll see if I can find Dusty Rhodes doing some commentary on uh, on Japanese women's wrestling. I bet it exists somewhere. Oh my god, this is amazing! Uh, yeah, I want it now. Yokosuka kick. <laughs> She's on a motorcycle. Oh my god. <laughs> There's, they're, they're. At one point, he lost his shit because and Japanese moves have wacky names. There's a move called the Dragon Screw Leg Whip. And <laughs> yeah. Dusty Rhodes lost his shit because he thought somebody was going to fuck a dragon. It was incredible. <laughs> I mean, to be fair. That is what know, it sounds like. <laughs> yeah, it really does. So I can't really fault him and be like, duh. It's like, nah, no, actually, I see where you get that from. Yeah, that makes, I'm kind of sad that's not happening too. Yeah, yep. okay. And I'll, yeah. uh, I'll drop links to all this shit in the show notes. There's, I'm just thinking of all the great dusty stuff that we haven't, we didn't really have time to talk about. Somebody did, uh, did hard times as Morgan Freeman, which was incredible. Oh my God. Oh my God. And we all had hard times together. Um, that was incredible. Let me tell your daddy. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's little daddies in there too. Daddy. Daddy. Um, that's in there. And, one of the all-time great moments uh, during a, a WrestleMania red carpet, Dusty Rhodes got interviewed by Maria Menounos, who proceeded to unload a full impression of Dusty Rhodes doing hard times. And he's surprised because she nails every fucking line, and every time she nails another line, he looks more surprised. So oh she goes on for like 90 seconds, and the whole time, every five seconds, his face gets more shocked, and by the end, he's just like... Like, ready to fucking explode. It's it's so good. Oh, that's amazing. That sounds like the purest thing. Yep. And, uh, and Dusty Rhodes would later go on to uh, be a, a driving force in NXT. So a lot, of the, a lot of the young guys who are coming up in WWE now owe a lot of their development to, uh, to Dusty Rhodes. That's kind of where his, uh, the last of his creative juices went was training the next generation. So he really is a sweet little cinnamon roll, son of a plumber. So it would seem. Although, as we'll see, uh, as we'll see next week, uh, I don't know about next week. Maybe it is next week. Maybe I'll run them all in a row. We'll see. <laughs> but, um, as we'll see, as we'll see next time, Dusty Rhodes wasn't, uh, wasn't a saint, um, what? Well, I mean, would you would you imagine that somebody who looks and acts like Goldust might have had some issues with his dad growing up? No. <laughs> <laughs> we we, we kind of have to mouth. we have to deal with the fact that while Dusty Rhodes is traveling the world, being this sort of father figure to all of you know all of blue-collar America, he has an actual son at home who's growing up not seeing him very much. Plot twist. Yeah, and, uh, and then we have, uh, we have that son growing up to try to follow in the footsteps of a father that he kind of resents, but still yeah, loves that, and idolizes. that never happens. He idolizes and loves his father very much, but also kind of resents him for... Uh, for you know, choosing to live his life the way he did. And the, the roads, the road story has a lot more, a lot more twists and turns. And, uh, and I'm very excited to get to it. As all good roads do. <laughs> You're so, welcome. Thank you. This has been another episode of I Hate Wrestling. I want to thank my guest, 
Nicole. Thank you, Matt, for having me again. I love this. Of course, of course. Always happy to have you. I want to thank Corinne Dodenhoff for designing my logo. I want to thank uh, the Novas for the use of my theme song, The Crusher. I want to remind you, dear listener, to please like, rate, review, subscribe, comment on iTunes, on SoundCloud, on Spotify. Visit me at yes. ihwpod.com. Follow me on Instagram at I Hate Wrestling and follow me on Twitter at ihwpod.com. Nicole. Matt. You know how the show ends, don't you? Uh, I think I vaguely remember it, yeah. Alright, so Nicole, what is your what is your wrestling character this week? This week I feel like thematically based on what we just watched it'd have to be the cheese grater. <laughs> Now, do you do you just carry a big cheese grater, or do you constantly grate cheese on your fallen opponents? Both. I I carry it. Uh, I use it whenever possible, whether it's on their faces. You know, if I can't do a cage match. Oh, I got it! Or, I got you know, it. You've got your down for the count. Just you know, grate some cheese on them is just like a final humiliation. Like, <laughs> well, you've got your you've got your opponent down to the ground, right? You pick their head up, you grab a fistful of hair, and you take the cheese grater right to their forehead, and you go. Say when, and then you just start fucking going to town. Exactly, and then you know if it's like a tag team match, my teammate would have like a big pepper grinder. <laughs> pepper grinder. Like, <laughs> you know, fresh peppers. So much, and they're like, ah, you know, like that that kind of situation. So I guess we'd be like, our tag team name would be like Olive Garden or something. Table service. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, something like that. I Here's a tip: that. stay out of our way. Oh, I see what you did there. And then we'd like this bump. And that would be it. Yeah. Do the eye I don't have to say a lot more about the way I feel about Ric Flair. No respect. No honor. There is no honor amongst thieves in the first place. He put hard times on dusty roads and his family. You don't know what hard times are, Daddy. Daddy.